Hello, listeners, and welcome to the unofficial podcast of DSA Cleveland's Political Education Committee. My name is Kobe, and I'm pleased to introduce our very first episode. In today's episode, we have a reading of the introduction to Mike Parker and Martha Gruel's Democracy is Power. This book has been a big influence on the structure of Cleveland DSA and some of our guiding principles. It bills itself as a blueprint for building a member-driven union, but its value goes way beyond that. It can give insight to democratizing existing unions, building democratic organizations, and finding sustainable leadership structures for voluntary organizations. It begins on a bedrock of principle. Why is membership control important? And zooms in on the nitty-gritty. How can I participate effectively in a union meeting? The book also happens to be DSA Cleveland's August Book Club book. Join us on Zoom Wednesday, August 30th to discuss this and what it means for us in our work of building a socialist society. You can find the link at our calendar at dsacleveland.org. One note on the recording. A member of the chapter offered us this recording, which he created for personal use, so you'll find it less polished and professional than some audiobook recordings you might be used to. When listening, I found it to be more charming than it was distracting, but you'll come to your own conclusions. Anyway, without further ado, Democracy is Power. Democracy is Power, Rebuilding Unions from the Bottom Up, by Mike Mike Parker and Martha Gruel. Introduction, about power. This book is about democracy and power for working people. It assumes that working people need more power, and that the first way to get it is through our unions. Strong unions are good for their members, for all working people, and for building a more democratic society. This book is built on six themes. Union power requires democracy. Unions need active members to be strong, and people won't stay involved for long if they don't have control of the union's program. The workplace, not the union hall, is the starting point for union democracy because the purpose of democratic control in the union is to make it more effective against the boss. If members choose and organize their own job actions, they'll bring that power into union meetings. No set of rules can guarantee democracy. When we talk about democracy, we mean much more than fair election procedures, for instance, although the rules are important tools. We mean a culture of control by the members. Racism and sexism are still barriers to union democracy. We can't just remove explicit discrimination and be done. Democratic unions consciously and actively strive to include everyone. Working people are fit to run our own affairs. We are intelligent, can act cooperatively, and are fully capable of analyzing our situation and crafting the best strategy to improve it. Given real choices, we will overcome our prejudices and work for the betterment of all. Members have the right to organize around a view of how to run a union. This means more than the right to voice opinions. We have the right to work with others who agree to convince still more to come along. This is the essence of building a reform movement in a union. From the perspective of the reformer in a corrupt union, it seems that the main barriers to rank-and-file control are union officials, who use undemocratic rules, goon squads, and deals with management to ward off any threats to their perks. Unfortunately, there is no shortage of examples. 
but increasingly, as reformers of various degrees and stripes take power in locals and gain more influence in international unions, it is clear that there are other enemies. Sometimes members make tremendous sacrifices to reform their union, only to find that new leaders they have elected turn out to be almost as dictatorial as the ones they've replaced. These new officers may genuinely have the members' interests at heart, but believe the ranks are best served if leaders maintain control. And reform-minded leaders often find that it is not so easy to involve members in running the union. They complain that members refuse to participate and prefer to let the servicing rep take care of business. Sometimes it even seems, paradoxically, that members prefer those who would deny them power in the union, if they think it will get them more power on the job. Thus, we often see corrupt and bureaucratic officials gain a following, and get elected, because they talk tough against the employer. The truth is that the enemies of democracy are not just a bunch of corrupt officials. Democracy is undermined systematically by many forces in our society. These include the power of employers to interfere in unions, the belief that democracy is simply about correct procedures, and the hope that someone else will do all the hard work. The impetus for this book comes from three sources. First, reformers in a number of unions who have won local and some national leadership positions want to restructure their unions to make them genuinely democratic. Contact information for some of these groups appear in Appendix 6. Second, serious rank-and-file reformers want to carefully pinpoint what is wrong with their unions so that their call for change is not just a complaint, but a plan for a better way. Third, the election of the current AFL-CIO leadership in 1995 led to an emphasis on organizing and member involvement. But as advocates of the organizing model are discovering, seeking to involve members inevitably raises questions of democracy within the union. Indeed, parts of this book will sound familiar with anyone. To it, will sound familiar to someone with good training in organizing. Organizing, in its best sense, helping people work together to achieve what they want, is another way to say union democracy. We're organizing people, whether it's those who already have a union or those who want a new one, does not put them in charge of their own activity. It is not democratic, nor is it powerful. We have three aims. To make the case that democracy is essential to the power of the union, democracy is not simply a moral question, but the key to a union's ability to meet today's challenges from management and government alike. To lay out guidelines activists can use to create and maintain a democratic union environment. To use these guidelines to sort through some tough questions about democratic procedure. How do we get members involved? How do we conduct elections? How do we handle dissent? The answers are not obvious. What seems democratic to a dissident in a local union, such as filling all positions by election rather than appointment, may not look so appealing or democratic to the reformer who has just won a close election and wants to sweep out the corruption. There are no universal right answers on most of these questions. At the same time, the similarities among modern American unions and the problems they face make some answers pretty common. Instead of providing a manual of procedures with yes-no positions, we try to provide some analytic tools so that unionists can choose what is most appropriate for their situation. 
two subjects are not the goal of this book, although they certainly fall under the heading of union democracy. It is not our aim to compile a list of atrocities against democracy. Where we can learn something from discussing a bad union practice, we do so. Many egregious examples are left out. This is also not a book about the legal rights of union members. Assuring legal rights is an important tool for democracy, but it is far from the whole solution. An excellent resource on legal rights is the Association for Union Democracy. See Appendix 6. The material for this book comes from many sources. Many unions have a long history of struggling with the question of internal democracy. We draw most heavily on recent examples within the Teamsters. In the last decade, the struggle in that union has taught us the most lessons about winning rank-and-file democracy. One of our most important sources is the experience of the Reform Caucus Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Formed in 1976 out of a struggle against a poor contract in the freight industry, the organization grew from a tiny group of rank-and-filers to a large and influential movement. Much of its success is owed to TDU's own influential, sorry, TDU's own form of membership control. Because we refer to TDU and the Teamsters so frequently throughout this book, we have included a history and description of the TDU below. Many of our ideas come directly from other organized reform groups, particularly New Directions in the UAW, that's United Auto Workers. Another New Directions in the Transport Workers Local 100, and REAP in the UFCW, UFCW's United Food and Commercial Workers. Our monthly publication, Labor Notes, has covered reform movements in a number of U.S. and Canadian unions, and a few in other countries such as Mexico, Brazil, and Germany. Others have written thoughtfully on union democracy. In particular, we have learned from the work of Herman Benson, Steve Early, and Michael Eisenscher. Our first three chapters lay out ideas basic to the understanding of potential power in union democracy and the roadblocks to fulfilling this potential. Later chapters look at how to put these ideas into practice. The appendixes focus mostly on holding good meetings, a necessary but not sufficient aspect of union democracy. Appendix 5 suggests some pointers on bylaws. The reader will notice that we've written the book for two different audiences, and that therefore the assumptions about what's going on in the local union vary from section to section. The two audiences are rank-and-file reformers working to democratize their unions in the face of opposition from incumbent officials, and reformers who are in office. Thus, we've emphasized two kinds of action. Ways for members to organize to stop poor practices, hold leaders accountable, and force their views on a reluctant officialdom, and ways for officials to get the members involved in building strong unions. Like any Labor Notes book, we consider this one a work in progress. The authors of the Labor Notes staff and policy committee, and other leaders in our network, fully expect to learn more about union democracy as unionists comment on this book and as they forge ahead on the nitty-gritty of building democracy. New ideas and new stories can be expected in the pages of Labor Notes. Please send us yours. What is Teamsters for a Democratic Union? 
TDU is a movement of Teamsters dedicated to reforming their union. Teamster spouses and retirees and members in both the United States and Canada are welcome as members. TDU is funded by member dues of $35 per year, about the same as a month's dues in a union for most, and by donations. TDU has a sister organization, the Teamsters Rank and File Education and Legal Defense Foundation, that carries on education and legal work only. The TRF receives foundation grants and non-Teamster donations. TDU got its start in the 1970s among Teamsters pushing for a stronger national freight contract. Their immediate goal was to show that the union could get better agreements if members voted down bad contracts and were willing to strike. Since top officials were trying to sell the contracts, TDUers saw officials' lack of accountability as a major impediment to taking on the employers, starting from a few dozen truck drivers and dock workers spreading information about bargaining demands. TDU grew to include several thousand members in the mid-90s, from every Teamster jurisdiction. From its founding in 1976 until 1989, TDU's main emphasis was on contracts, pushing bargainers, and, between negotiations, working on grievances. By the mid-80s, TDU was still small, but had enough influence to convince a majority to vote no on the concessionary contracts in the freight industry at UPS, and for car haulers, the truck drivers who move new cars from the factory to the seaport. Sorry, from the factory or seaport to the dealer's lot. At the same time, TDUers listened to members talk about how their officials were selling them out. TDU agitated for their right to vote directly for top officials to keep them accountable. The Teamsters, like most U.S. unions, elected top officials at conventions. Unlike most, the Teamsters' convention was almost entirely composed of ex-officio delegates, local officials who automatically became delegates by virtue of their office, with no chance for rank-and-filers to vote for delegates. The effect was a closed system of local and international officers helping each other maintain power without having to consult the ranks. In 1989, the system was knocked open. The Justice Department pressured old guard officials to allow a rank-and-file vote for top officers, with candidates nominated at a convention where delegates had to be elected for that purpose. TDU backed a local president not of their ranks, Ron Carey, who had been outspoken nationally on UPS contracts. With TDU's network of trained activists, Carey won election in 1991. The Teamsters Union began to change, although the many old guard officials still firmly embedded at regional and local levels resisted fiercely. TDU worked with the Kerry administration, supporting it against the old guard while pushing it farther on reforms. TDUers continued all kinds of organizing within the union, including running for local office. The fight for democracy was far from finished. In 1997, an election scandal threatened reform efforts. Ron Carey, in his successful 96 re-election campaign, had hired consultants who carried out an illegal contribution swap scheme. The government barred Carey from the rerun election, but TDUers understood what Carey himself had said. It's not about one man. Though angered at the government's removal of Carey, TDUers pushed on. 
they organized to back a new slate of candidates led by Tom Leadham. Leadham was as a local president and head of the union's 400,000 member warehouse division, a solid practitioner of rank and file power through democracy. The Leadham slate did remarkably well in December 1998, after campaigning only six months compared to Hoffa's four-year effort, and outspent seven to one. They garnered about 39% of the vote. The reform slate won a majority among members of those locals that included a sizable number of people covered by national contracts. This was a group most affected by the policies of the international, and the group most knowledgeable about the international union efforts. As in 1991 and 1996, the best reform vote came from areas of locals where TDU was strongest. TDU acts locally. Because TDU dealt with national contract issues for freight workers, UPSers, and many other Teamsters, it took on a national structure from the beginning. For instance, TDU held national conventions where the organization, even when the organization was still small, and distributed centrally produced national TDU contact bulletins. But most of TDU's activity was and is carried out at the local level. Local activists distribute TDU information in bulletins and do much more. They are essential organizers, talking up the issues among members, hearing what they think, and communicating responses and concerns back to the national office. Based on this local organizing, they discuss strategy for the next steps. Local activists work to build a TDU chapter in their area. In some cities, the chapter will include members from several different Teamster locals. In some places, there is only one Teamster local, or only one with an active TDU membership. Chapter members determine their own structure, finances, and priorities. If the chapter is new or not very strong, its members may do little more than pass out the newsletter, Convoy Dispatch to co-workers and sponsor an occasional meeting with a guest speaker from TDU headquarters. A more active chapter will have a national leadership body, sorry, a regular leadership body, meetings, campaigns around local and national issues and methods of raising money. Naturally, each chapter's strength and activity will vary over time depending on many factors, a major one being the energy and effectiveness of its volunteer leaders. Within each chapter, certain local officials, sorry, within each chapter, certain local unions may take center stage at different times. TDU's national leadership and staff and the national newsletter provide these groups with a picture of how they fit into the overall scene. Are there bylaws proposals similar to reforms that have been worked on in other locals? Are coworkers upset about the same workplace problems as Teamsters across the country? while well, responses are being tried elsewhere. Like reformers in other unions, TDU activists in some locals must do double duty. They take over much of the work abandoned by the lazy or corrupt officials, member education, organizing around grievances, determining priorities for bargaining, while at the same time pushing officials to change their ways or be moved aside. Here's how these activities might work together. Maybe someone notices a TDU member has a lot of contract information and asks about a particular problem. A TDU member helps this coworker get more information from the national office, if needed, and helps file a grievance, which the local officials sit on. 
Meanwhile, TDU members are asking around to see if the problem is widespread and finding out that many people are concerned about it. They plan and carry out a show of solidarity, like taking turns dropping by the supervisor's office to quote the contract. After about a day of this, the business agent magically appears and the grievance is won. Then perhaps one of the chapter members writes a story about the win for Convoy, and the chapter orders extra copies of that issue. Many of the people who helped pressure the boss to sign, then sign up for the TDU. One of them has friends in a different company, where conditions have really deteriorated since the last contract, and they start asking questions too. Eventually the group decides to run one of its number for Steward. When they run to take over the local, TDUers often form coalition slates with independent forces. When they win, they can look to the national TDU office for help in setting up their new administration. As more TDUers have one office, the organization has held special meetings for reform officers. You will find much more information about TDU in the chapters that follow. To contact TDU, see Appendix 6.